Um, like I said, I'm very excited about uh, ta- continuing our conversation about um, the church in light of the resurrection, right? We've been, that's been the angle that we've been looking at these stories of Jesus is what does Jesus tell us about who we are supposed to be as individuals, but collaboratively as the church, as his church. When we look at the gift that he's given us, the command he's given us to build the church um, now that he's gone, what does that look like for us? How do we maybe struggle with some of that? Uh, We've been talking about the fact that church has more often than not has backed up away from people and built some walls. And so we sort of want to dive into that. So always remember that's the angle that we're telling some of these really familiar gospel stories to. Um, The first time I had to like give a a young life talk, I like talked about Zacchaeus. So when you give a young life talk for familiar with young life, it's a parachurch organization. And you kind of like the key to these like talks are to like come up with like a life story. And they generally have like almost this much to do with the actual story, but it gets people like, you know, excited about the story. And so I compared uh, the story of Zacchaeus to the first time I went to Disney World. So I just have to tell you guys. So I went to Disney World uh, for the first time when I was in seventh grade, and um, I really wanted to see the Muppets live. Yeah, don't pretend you don't know if you're a child anywhere near my age. Um, The Muppets were a thing and are a thing and making a comeback. So I was very excited to see the Muppets live at this, you know, outdoor event, but I was short and I could not see. So I had to climb. Uh, this statue area in order to get my pictures of the Muppets. So that was always like my connection with the Zacchaeus stories. I get it. He was like a seventh grader just trying to see the Muppets, trying to see something that was exciting. Um, so this is a familiar story, right? Uh, it's vacation Bible school. It's, it's all these things. And sometimes I thought, I remember even talking in worship this week of, yeah, I've been reading it. I'm, I'm sort of, I'm excited about what, what this is saying, but I think it's going to be a relatively shorter uh, shorter message. No, that's not true. Because I could go back now and I feel like we could do four weeks on the 10 verses that is Zacchaeus. So I need to make sure that um, we're only going to get really a snapshot. But I want to look at it from two um, sort of angles. I want to talk about the way that Zacchaeus responds and the way that Jesus responds. And that's kind of where we're going we're gonna to focus. So if you have a Bible, it's uh, Luke chapter 19, starting at verse 1. The kid's Bible, if you had one of those, that's also a great spot to look. So if you're a kid that wants to follow along, that story is actually longer than the one that, uh, the story that Luke tells. So Jesus is making his way from Galilee up to Jerusalem. So this is actually going to be his last trip to Jerusalem um, before before he dies. Uh, And so, you know, I feel like scripture, everything is always saying they're going up to Jerusalem. That's because uh, Jerusalem was one of the highest points, right? So There's only 15 miles between Jericho and Jerusalem, but there is a 3,100 elevation change in those 15 miles. Um, So people would often stop, right, in Jericho. Um, Jericho is a very well-known city. It's sort of strategically located so that you can bypass Samaria on your way to Jerusalem for the festivals, um, to go worship at temple, uh, to do those kinds of things, right? Uh, Jericho is also different, so we know that in this desert landscape, Jericho is like this oasis. It's kind of like going to San Diego. Like it's just really, it's really nice, it's warm, it's lush, but the weather's really, really great. Um, it's just different than sort of the rest of the, the surrounding area because it's just got all these springs that feed, uh, that feed everything. So 
It's lush, it's greener, it's different uh, than the rest. So people kind of love to go there uh, and spend time there. A lot of people who, are, who live there are wealthy and they have like their second home there in Jericho. Uh, so kind of like, I think about it when I was kind of reading and studying, it's kind of like maybe the people that uh, are politicians in D.C., right? They, they like have a house there, but then they also have to go back and they live in Iowa or wherever they are, you know, so they got those two kind of places. Jericho was similar to that. So a lot of people who live there were extremely, uh, or extremely wealthy. So you kind of have to know that to really kind of get into understanding, uh, understanding the story. It's so kind of wealthy that uh, King Herod, Herod the Great, he built three different palaces within Jericho at some point in time. So this place Nice, think gated community kind of feel to it, right? So we meet Zacchaeus right away, right in verse one, and the first thing we know about him is that he's a chief tax collector. So we're gonna get to it, but here's the thing, when I'm, you're studying a thing like this, it's a, I've read it so many times, what are some of these things that I've been missing this whole time? So I wanna share with you some of the things that I've been missing, and so before we even read the whole thing again, this idea of a chief tax collector. We've heard in scripture so far about tax collectors. Nobody really liked them for you know, lots of different reasons. They were uh, kind of thrown in there with the worst of the worst, right? So they're no different than, a, you know, they're terrible sinners and all these kinds of things. But we never, this is the only time that we're, we hear about a chief tax collector. So then I had to do some investigating, right? Matthew was a, was a, was a tax collector, but this is the first time there's ever a chief tax collector. So we have to learn about taxes real quick. Jeff, do you wanna, and I'll just go, no, you wanna? Okay, um, so I don't know much about taxes other than I have to pay them. Um, so it's different the way that, that they did taxes then. And so you need to know that to really sort of understand who Zacchaeus was and kind of what a bad dude he sort of really was. So taxes are funneled into two places. Um, first of all, you, you had to pay Jerusalem temple tax. So that was one. So every male who was 20 years or older had to pay annual taxes, funny enough, in the spring. Interesting. So tax time's coming up for us. Tax time was around the same time. They also had to give a tithe to their crops. So they were paying money um, and, and they were paying uh, money through their, the goods that they had to sort of give back. And then the second taxes were to Rome. Okay, and so no, but those were the taxes that really hurt for people to have to, to have to give because they were the foreign pagan oppressors who were, you knew they were sort of using that money to fund all these military operations and things that, um, you know, people were really upset about. But they had a tax on everything. So if you think our tax system is bad, it, it started a long time ago, right? They had to tax on crops. They had a people tax, whether you were a citizen or a slave. So even though a slave didn't have the same rights as a citizen, same taxes, still had to pay the same kind of tax. They had transportation of goods tax, a sales tax, inheritance tax, and a business license tax. It's a lot of taxes. And then what I found the most interesting part was it's estimated that people were paying taxes for their overall income between 50 and 80% of their overall income. I freaked out when I heard that statistic, right? Like, that's just an insane amount. I mean, the taxes were oppressive, which kept the poor really, really poor. And the wealthy, it still was hurtful, but they had to make a lot of money in order to stay wealthy. So there, I would imagine that Jericho had a very extreme population of wealth and poverty in this one spot. 
And then taxes were in this, this, this called tax farming, right? So uh, it, Roman government was in charge of it, but then they hired Jewish people, so kind of a person of the people to make sure uh, that they got gathered and taken care of. So they kind of divided it into districts, right? So you could bid on a certain district and they'd figure out how much the taxes would cost for that whole district. And then so, and the, a person that wanted to be a chief tax collector could bid on that, be like, yes, I got that area. Ooh, that's a good area. It's got Jericho in it. And they would sort of front some of that money and then they would hire underlings to go and collect those taxes. So you can see how the system would get really corrupt really quickly. So you've got these other folks that are uh, tax collectors and they're collecting what they, they need to get and then they're lining their pockets with the extra, but they've got to line it with enough because you know, the, the chief tax collector is going to take his cut. So these people are cheating everybody out of, out of their money because there's also no system of like, this is roughly how much you have to pay. You know, we have these, these formulas that we can figure out. This is what we owe, and we send, in, we send in our check if we owe money. And if we have a system where, where stuff gets taken out, like, th that's not a thing. So people just come and are like, taxes are due, here's what you owe, and they're just expected to, to sort of pay that. And so it started, I think, feel a little bit more like the mafia kind of style of it's time to cough up some cash uh, than it did your friendly neighborhood government uh, employee coming to get your taxes, right? So that's the interesting part. So, so the tax collectors were already wealthy. Therefore, the chief tax collector was extremely wealthy. I'm thinking like top 1% kind of wealth. So Zacchaeus, we know, the first time in scripture, the only time in scripture, is referred to as the chief. And Luke wants to remind us that he was wealthy. The people knew that, but I think for us as readers, uh, a long time later, just want to remind you, this guy was wealthy. This guy's the godfather of Jericho, kind of wealthy, right? Everyone knew him. Everyone despised him. The rich, the poor, everybody, no matter what, if you had money or not, you didn't want to pay this guy. So when he came around, nobody was excited about this guy. So he had wealth and he had power, but he like ticked everyone off. So he had, he had no friends. He had no community of people. So I imagine he lived in his giant palace alone. Good to see you. So let's dig in there. So uh, chapter 19, verse 1, here we go. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree, fig tree so that he could to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So he knows Jesus is coming. I would imagine, right, that at, well, at this point in time, everybody knows Jesus, right? People are like, okay, Jesus is coming. They can see him a long way off. People are, crowds are starting to gather. Kids are running through the street. Like, it's becoming a thing. So people are um, are getting almost probably a little mob-like, not an angry mob-like, but a Lots of people in the same place. I always think about it like before the 4th of July fireworks. People kind of slowly start to congregate, congregate, and then all of a sudden people are coming at once waiting for this thing. That's what it was like when Jesus would come to town. So he knows uh, that he is coming to see Jesus, but he's too short. And we have this song, right, that we sing that because he was, he was a little guy, a wee little man, that he had to climb up in this tree. And so um, I'm not good at reading Greek, but I bought a very expensive program that helps me. And so the Greek for short 
is Helica, right? I don't know if I'm saying that right. And so, but anyway, the, the, the translation for that is stature. So he was short in stature. Well, stature can mean three different things. It can mean age, height, or social status, right? Well, in order to be a chief tax collector, I'm betting he's not young. He's not some 20-some-year-old tax collector guy. That just probably isn't true. He could have been short uh, as far as a, as a height situation. That could be true. But what we probably know for sure in the way that people were behaving, he was very short on social status, right? Nobody liked being around him. So I'm guessing that, that, that when people saw him, they wanted nothing to do with him so that when Jesus was coming to town, he didn't have, it's not like he was somebody like, oh, we need to get out of so-and-so, we need to get out of Zacchaeus' way. He'd like to get to the front. That wasn't happening for him. So I imagine as this crowd is building, he's sort of being pushed to the edges and to the outskirts. And so he has to go and run ahead so I'm kind of, get, my, my, my guessing of this situation, right? If he's being pushed out of the way and can't get to the front, he's gone to the outside and needs to then run ahead of the crowd to get to this tree. Can you put up that picture of that tree? It's a sycamore fig tree. And so it's, it's, it's like a hybrid combination of both, a sycamore tree and a fig tree. And the, the land had lots of those kinds of trees in it. Um, but what is interesting about this tree is it's got really low hanging branches. So it's not a difficult tree to climb. I feel like it's like anyone can climb that tree, right? Little kids love to climb trees, but you get somebody like me and I'm like, ooh, that seems far. Like that's not, then I have to get down and getting down now is the problem because there's a lot of things to fall in one direction and land. Like it's gonna be, that's not gonna feel great, right? So these trees are really easy to climb because they're really sort of low. So he was able to grab onto one of those and it didn't take him very long and he could have, shimmied up and been able to see a little bit. So here's my premise, is I think in everything Zacchaeus did in the first four verses, we can see that Zacchaeus had a longing to be changed. Everything he did points to the fact that he wanted to change. Zacchaeus wants to see, right? Like he can't see Jesus so he's going to make, uh, he's going he's gonna to change his situation and so that he can. Actually, it's interesting. If we take out some of the, the verses and chapters, sometimes that throws us off in scripture. Wow, it's a lot of, I'm going to put them over here. Um, we, we lose track of, of, we get too hung up in what chapter, what verse. Um, those didn't come in until a lot later. And so sometimes it makes it, scripture feel more disjointed to me. But if you look at the last, Luke's trying to, to to tie something in for us. If you look at the end of uh, chapter 18, um, in my Bible, it has a title. It's called, A Blind Beggar Received His Sight. And this is on his way into Jericho to meet Zacchaeus. So the next thing that happens is he meets Zacchaeus. But the first thing he finds uh, and, and has a, a blind man see. Like Luke's trying, to, Luke's trying to build a bridge for us, I believe. Like it's about seeing, it's about restoring sight to the blind. And the beggar was blind physically blind, but Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus and he wanted to. And I think that's an interesting sort of bridge that Luke wants to build for us. Secondly, Zacchaeus runs. People don't run. Kids run, that's fine, but to have a dignified adult man with the job that he did to run ahead to the tree, that just wasn't a thing that's happened. 
In, in a culture that is honor and based on honor and shame, everything you do either brings honor or it brings shame to you and your family. Running is one of those things that yeah, you're, not gonna, you're not gonna do that. No one does, running for fun, not a thing. Like no one's training for a 5K. That's not, that's not happening. So he's already kind of putting himself in a position where he's running. And then he climbs. Adults don't climb trees. Like that's ridiculous. You just don't, you don't do that. Kids will do those things. Adults don't do that. So Zacchaeus, he wants to see, so he's willing to run and he's willing to climb. And he's trying to position himself in a better place to see Jesus. He's trying to act and to move in order to put himself in a better position. Notice how Jesus still is the first one to act, right? This is one of those situations where we can move and we can change our positions and we can shift, but, 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 but Jesus is the first one to act. It's because of Jesus that we have, that he has an encounter. So I, my first kind of thought is from Zacchaeus is, what are the things in our life that we need to change? How do we need to put ourselves in a different position to see things more clearly, to see things from a different perspective? Sort of live your life the same way all the time. Your perspective never really changes. Is there a longing or a desire to be different? Like Zacchaeus, in order to do these things, there was a deep desire for something to change within him, to something be different. And we don't a lot of times like to talk about those longings or desires to be different because we're afraid of how they're gonna make us sound, because we're not informed enough, or um, you know, we're gonna be judged based on what we say or think or do because we're afraid of guilt and the shame and the fear that comes with all of those things of longing for something to be different. What will people think? What will people say? If I wanna have this conversation, am I gonna seem a little bit racist? <laughs> Finding those safe places to have these kind of conversations because you're trying to change your vantage point. You're trying to get to a different spot. That's exactly what Zacchaeus was trying to do. But Zacchaeus broke through whatever fear and shame he felt in order to see Jesus because that was the thing that it was important. Nowhere in the story does Jesus then point out all the wrong things he did. You notice that? Like there's never this moment where Jesus is like, all right, I'm coming to your house because we're gonna have a conversation, right? This parental sort of, you haven't been living the way that I've called you to live. And so he doesn't do that. Jesus never does things like that. And he doesn't do it to Zacchaeus. So that's my first sort of think about what's gonna change for you? What do you long to be different at whether in your life or in the life of the church? What do you long to be different? How do we need to change our vantage point? What trees do we need to climb to have a better conversation, to create change? And then there's Jesus' response. So in verse five, it says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Zacchaeus came down because Jesus called him by name. That's interesting to me. Do you know what, anywhere in scripture, especially when the, even the stories that we've already told, it's we never get someone's proper name. It's always the woman at the well or the Samaritan woman, the bleeding woman, the blind beggar. The, they're always sort of defined by um, the issue that they have. But this is a story where Zacchaeus gets a name. Somebody uses his name and there's power in that, right? When somebody knows your name and is aware of who you are, Jesus uses his name and pursues him. 
That's number, that's like, that's, the, that's one of the first big things that he does. He doesn't have to acknowledge Zacchaeus. It would be super easy. Zacchaeus isn't, we don't get a picture. We're not told that he's waving his arms, being like, look at me, I'm up here. I'd like to see, I'd like to meet you. Or like we are at a concert, try to get an autograph or something like that. that, that the scripture doesn't indicate that that's the way that he was behaving. And he says, I'm gonna come, I'm, I'm, I must stay at your house today. So the second thing Jesus does is Jesus offers him love and acceptance. No other conversations yet. He offers him love and acceptance. Knowing full well who he is and what he's done, he offers him love and acceptance. In verse seven, it says, all the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to, the, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus was up in a tree because he was pushed outside of the community, right? He was there because nobody wanted to give him room or space. He was short on social status, right? No, when people would come in to town, a, a, a dignitary, somebody special, that was a thing. Like, you were going to go to someone's house that was uh, righteous and good in the community. They were going to wash your feet from your travel, give you a drink, and then share a meal. Like, that was the hospitality protocol of the day, right? Like, that's what you did. And, and Jesus was a guy that, that, that was a special and a dignitary, and I'm sure somebody was planning on him coming to their house. But Jesus says, I'm going to, I'm going to Zacchaeus' house. I'm going to give him that honor. Jesus was breaking all hospitality protocol, and people were getting ticked. Like, I mean, muttering, you can imagine the, the, the crap they were saying about Zacchaeus and why Jesus would go there, and therefore probably maybe some of them throwing Jesus under the bus too. Like, oh, this guy's not who maybe I thought he was, because if he's going to go to Zacchaeus' house, that's not what you do. Because to share a meal with somebody in that culture, is culture that says love and acceptance. Jesus is going to have a meal with him, a guy that has a big fancy home because he bought it on the backs of other people with stolen money and everybody's freaking out about it. Jesus doesn't seem to understand that if you're a righteous man, you spend time with righteous people. Three, Jesus didn't care about his reputation. He cared about people. He just did. In an honor and shame culture, everybody's angry and upset about what Jesus is doing. The religious leaders are mad, right? Because you're spending time with the wrong people again. Like Jesus, I think you'd be a really good guy. I like what you have to say for the most part, but you, you just keep messing up again by spending these time with these riffraffs, right? But time and time again, Jesus is loving people where they are and it is almost always on the outside of any religious circle. Like if you're on the inside of the religious circle, Jesus is spending all the time with the people like Zacchaeus who have been pushed out. And I sometimes wonder how often, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm the crowd, right? And maybe for you too, I, I often don't see myself as somebody that Jesus has to pursue. Like my life has gone pretty well. I've, I've grown up in a Christian home. I've never, I've, I've not had these like instances where I really felt like, Jesus had to come find me in my life and I was, it, things were going terribly and I was in these terrible relationships or I was desperately sinning against God and myself and come rescue me. I, I don't, th those are stories that never seem to resonate with me. But then I was like, well, that's junky. See the filter that just went on? Uh, that's bad. That's bad news. <laughs> 
right? Because if I don't, um, if my, my heart isn't with them, then my heart is probably with the religious people because there's a way that we do things, right? And that's sometimes how the church operates, right? There is a way that we do things and you're not gonna, you're not gonna do it right. So let us like come and like help you along and, and then you can sort of be part of this thing that we're doing. So I, I don't know where you're at and where you might see yourself. The people that are difficult for us to love. I actually had a friend of mine. There's nothing more visceral in a response than politics in America. Is that true? Right? Like you're never going to get in a, a more interesting argument than when you involve politics or political figures. Like there's the kind of things that just like, they make us so mad, right? So a friend of mine uh, put something out earlier this, this week and, and thought Zacchaeus for her was a little bit like Donald Trump, right? Somebody that ha- had wealth and power and someone that that person saw as being corrupt and colluding and uh, how could G- Jesus would want to go to his house? Maybe if you're on the other side of that, maybe it's Nancy Pelosi, right? Maybe it's Hillary Clinton. Maybe it's that, it's that thing that for you that it's that person that is, doesn't deserve it, right? We don't have the same kind of relationship with our political figures as, um, as they did in the day, right? Like as, the, as they did for Zacchaeus. But we have the same visceral feelings and reactions. We, we give them the same hate and despise that we do regardless. So that's kind of the, the first one that I think about like, that gets us really ticked. But what, what are the relationships in your, in, your, in your life? What are the people that you have a really hard time, that you're sort of like, I don't know if Jesus is for you. Like in theory, in my head, I want, I, he is, but I'm not sure how, how far I'm, I'm, I think that I would be upset if Jesus was gonna spend time at your house. And I feel like that's, that's true and has been true for me for a long time. I, I don't think I had words to say that and to put that out there, but there were, I mean, there, there, are, there are people and groups of people that I'm like, I don't know, I don't know. Or people that have done things that I don't understand how they could do, right? Um, people that have, you know, committed these heinous crimes. I don't know. Should Jesus be coming to your house? I don't, I don't know. But he engages with everyone every time. He's come to seek and to have saved the lost. He always chooses love because it doesn't matter the background or what their lives look like. Jesus always reaches out in love every single stinking time. It does not change. We have these rules now for us, but every time he, he, he reaches out in love. Verse eight, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, Uh, Look, Lord, here and now I will give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody of anything, if. That's a little bit of him trying to save face. Like, I mean, I may have or I might, but, you know, probably. Uh, Now I'm going to pay them back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus wants to make things right. He doesn't have to be asked to. He responds with, with uh, grace and abundance of, I will, I, will, I will give people their money back even more than you would expect. He wants to right his wrongs because he knows, right, there's been a path that he hasn't been following that's good, that wasn't good, but Jesus is a, or Zacchaeus is a Jew. 
he knows the right path in which to be on and he wants to come back. And Jesus' only response is salvation has come to your house. So the fourth thing is Jesus both rescues and restores. He rescued him from the life that he was doing, uh, the, the, the path that he was going down that wasn't good, right? Cheating, the, cheating all kinds of people. But he also restored him to community, reminded them that this is a son of Abraham. He is one of you and he's come back. So let's get back on board with Zacchaeus and welcome him back in. And the fifth thing, the last thing, is Jesus enabled Zacchaeus to become who he was called to be. And this part blew my mind a little bit. We know that Luke, Luke never uses anyone's proper name. We talked about that. He only uses the names of his disciples, the people that were, were close to. And so names are important in scripture, right? Names are, names are a sign of your identity and, and they wanted to prophesy about your destiny and who it is you were gonna be. They took names really, really, really seriously. So the Hebrew um, word for Zacchaeus is Zacchaeus. And his name literally means innocent, clean, and righteous. None of that was true. None of that was true about who he was before he encountered Jesus. That's so awesome. Jesus made him the exact thing that he already was, innocent, clean, and righteous. And the Hebrew word for Jesus is Yeshua, which is literally translated, you guys, I can't even, I'm not even making this up, the Lord's salvation. Salvation has literally come to the house of Zacchaeus. That's the meaning of who Jesus is and was is now breathed into, into Zacchaeus so he gets to live into his name too. Because when Jesus comes into our story, we become exactly who we are designed to be. Whether you get rid of your junk or not, it's not your job anymore. Jesus makes you clean. Jesus is gonna help you figure that stuff out. But when we encounter and, and, and our story starts to align with Jesus' story, that's when we're living into everything God's called us to be. And then, and then it's our job to model that behavior, to model what it looks like to have encounter with Jesus, to invite other people into that. Because once you've encountered Jesus, you wanna give people a boost. You wanna, have, you wanna have people get up in whatever tree they need to get up to in order to see Jesus, to experience Jesus, because your life gets different when you know Jesus. It's our job to love and care for people the same way that Jesus did. Will you put the last five things on there just in case you missed it? It's just your list. Because this is us now. This is who we need to be. It's our job to care for people the way that Jesus did with reckless abandon for status quo and in direct violation of the, of, the, of the religious ideology of the day. And I think that's still true for us. Is this is how we need to start to treat people. Know people's name. Offer them love and acceptance. Don't care about your own reputation but care about people. Help Jesus in the work that he's doing. He's calling you, so, so rescue. Bring people to restoration because you're bringing them to the feet of Jesus. Because when they meet Jesus, they will become exactly who they were called to be. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, you are good and your love endures forever. 
you found us where we were. And maybe for some of uh, people here, they were a lot like me. Um, they, we were in great homes with, with families that loved and cared about us. And, and we've known the story of Zacchaeus for a really long time because we've known Bible stories for a really long time. But maybe there's a time in their own lives where they encountered you for the first time in a real way that was outside of something that happened because of school or church. They met someone who knew Jesus and they got introduced to who you are and their life has never been the same. I pray for us for moments of trans- transformation, moments when we can throw everything else off in, in the world that tells us to not to, to be drawn in by who you are and allow the, the very life that we live to be transformed by the message of the gospel, to love people, to care for people, to not worry about their, their stuff and not worry about who can come in and who can't, but just to love people the way that you love people, knowing that you sort everything else out. The sorting out in our job. Help us to live in love because you loved us first. And you give us each a name. And it is pure and holy and righteous and good, not because of anything that we have done, but because of who you are. Help us to live into that. Help, people, help us to be able to invite people onto that journey. Help us to boost people, other, up, other people up into trees so that they can see a different perspective, so that they can see you in a new way. Whether it's they need a different vantage point because they've lost sight or because they need to meet you for the very first time. Help us as individuals and help us collaboratively together as the church to be that wherever we go. God, you're good and your love endures forever. In Jesus' name we pray and believe. Amen.